Hello again, everybody. This is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. We are on episode 171, and I got a big one for you today, guys. We are talking all about the interdisciplinary team. So when I was a brand new nurse, a huge learning curve was learning who all these people were, what their roles were, who to utilize to maximize my patient's ability to meet their goals, and how it all really comes together. So you're going to start out way ahead of me because I'm going to share with you everything I know about the interdisciplinary team. Before we do that, I want to take a quick minute for the listener shout out because I love hearing from you guys and I just want everybody to know how amazing I think you are. So this one goes out to Sydney who says this, I'm wrapping up an accelerated nursing program and the Straight A Nursing Podcast has been a lifesaver. I listen while running and without it, I wouldn't be able to get nearly as much exercise because I would need to be at my desk studying. It was a no-brainer to subscribe to the podcast Study Sesh as well. One of the features of Study Sesh that is not available on Straight A Nursing Podcast is the drill episode. I listened to the RAS Pathway episode and it was so helpful. RAS is one of those things where I always say to myself, I really ought to memorize that, yet never find the time to do so. Enter NurseMo to help me out. Drill episodes are different because they ensure you know the information. I found the other podcasts most helpful if I'm already familiar with the topic, then listen to fill in the gaps and reinforce information. If you're listening to Straight A Nursing and wondering if it's worth the money for study sesh, it is. Because of COVID, all my classes have been online, making NurseMo like a bonus professor. So grateful to you. Sydney, thank you so much. And thank you for the shout out about study sesh. So for those of you that aren't sure what we're talking about, I'll talk more about study sesh at the end and I will link to it in the episode notes. It's another podcast that I do. It's subscription based. It's a members only podcast and we really maximize auditory learning. Okay, everybody. Time to talk about the interdisciplinary team. So it's kind of funny. I started out thinking, I want to talk about this. And then I thought, I honestly thought, this will be an easy episode to put together. And turns out I spent more time on this one than I did any of the others for this. Um, I do them all in a batch together. And this one once I dove into it, I realized there were so many members of this team and they all have such a valuable role. And I really, really want you guys to understand what this team is composed of and how to maximize using an interdisciplinary team to help your patient reach their goals. So again, a term you're going to hear a lot in nursing school and in clinical is the interdisciplinary Team And honestly, it wasn't until I was working in the ICU as a new nurse that I truly understood the importance of it, who it actually entailed, and the roles of everyone involved. So today we'll be talking about the key components of this team, how or when you would utilize each of these roles and what they do. Okay, so first let's talk about the general nursing team members. Okay, so 
The first one, of course, I'm going to talk about is the RN. So the RN, basically, you are the coordinator of care for the patient. It is the RN's role to do all the things, right? Assess the patient, implement the orders, perform nursing interventions, administer the medications, really moving that patient toward their goals. All of this is done under the umbrella of ensuring patient safety and avoiding complications and risks, okay? So that's the very shorthand version of the RN. And then we have LVNs and LPNs, and the LVN or LPN, it depends on where you are, what the term is. Um, This individual has similar duties to that of the RN. The scope of practice for licensed vocational or licensed practical nurses can vary quite a bit state by state. Uh, in In some states, the LVN or LPN may be supervised by an RN. Um, Not everywhere. It really just depends on the state. So if you want to see the scope of practice for LVNs or LPNs in your state, simply Google LPN scope of practice Alabama or LPN scope of practice Delaware or wherever you are and see what that is. It does vary quite a bit. Case manager, that's another RN role. And one of the key roles of the case manager in the clinical setting is basically they start working on patient discharge needs as soon as the patient is admitted. Will this patient be going to a skilled nursing facility? They got to get to work on that right away. Will they need rehab? They've got to get to work on that right away for a timely discharge. Will this patient need specific equipment at home or a home health nurse? What kind of support are they going to need? In addition, case managers work with patients to develop long-term plans for managing chronic conditions really with the goal of avoiding frequent hospitalizations as much as possible. They also act as a liaison between patients and insurance providers as a way to optimize patient care while also controlling costs. So when would you call the case manager? So a great example um, In most cases, the patient will have a case manager on board from the onset if one is needed. But if your patient, like let's say you've got a patient who's about to be discharged and both arms are in casts, okay? Maybe they were in a car accident or something and now they're getting ready to be discharged and they say, I live by myself. I'm not married. I have no children. I just moved here two months ago. I don't know anybody and I'm the sole caregiver for my two toddlers, all right? This patient has discharged charge needs out the wazoo, right? A case manager will help ensure that this patient gets what they need for a safe and timely discharge. Like maybe they have to go to a skilled nursing facility while both of their arms are in cast and figure out, you know, something with the kids. Like a case manager could help work on that. Palliative care RN is another nursing role in the interdisciplinary team. So these nurses work with patients to ensure pain relief and comfort are top priorities in the plan of care. Palliative care RN, often confused with hospice care, palliative care can include curative treatment for the patient, okay? So that's kind of a key differentiation between palliative care and 
hospice care. So an example of when you would utilize a palliative care RN, let's say um, a typical situation is you've got a patient who's critically ill and who has a very poor prognosis. The palliative care RN who is often, you know, um, in my hospital, palliative care RNs are on staff. So the palliative care RN can come in then, talk through options with the family educate them on the role of on the role of palliative care and also educate them on hospice as well act as a case manager for issues surrounding end of life and provide guidance provide resources with this very complex decision making that occurs and then similar to the palliative care rn is the hospice rn and hospice nurses work to provide comfort and pain relief at end of life And the key difference, again, with hospice patients is hospice patients are not pursuing curative treatments. Some patients will get hospice care inside the hospital, like if their pain symptoms cannot be managed at home, then we manage it in the inpatient setting. So you will have patients on hospice in the hospital. But most patients with hospice care go home or to a hospice kind of care facility or a skilled nursing facility. And that hospice RN works to ensure the family and the patient have all the items and resources needed for their care at home, such as, you know, getting a hospital bed at home, getting oxygen if they're using it, getting medications, all of those things. So a great example of when you would utilize or call in that hospice RN is maybe the patient or the durable power of an attorney individual no longer desires to pursue treatment and wishes to take the patient home or shift the plan of care to comfort measures only. That would be a time that a hospice RN would be utilized. Another role, a nursing role in the interdisciplinary team is the stroke RN or stroke coordinator RN. So hospitals that are designated stroke centers will most likely have a nurse who that's their entire job to ensure uh, stroke, protoco- stroke protocols and best practices are followed on all stroke patients as a way to really work to improve patient outcomes. So an example of when to call the stroke RN is you probably won't have to call the stroke RN. Most likely they're going to call you. They're going to be aware that this patient is there. Uh, they're going to call you, ask you things about the patient's NIH score, um, how they're doing neurologically. Um, if other, you know, protocols and parameters are being met. They're really, really super valuable resources and really, really knowledgeable about stroke care and stroke assessment. So count yourself super lucky if your hospital has a dedicated stroke RN. And then we have the WOCN, the Wound Ostomy Continence Nurse. This is a specially trained nurse and all things Uh, wounds and ostomies. So these RNs develop protocols and practices for the hospital for pressure ulcer prevention. They stage pressure ulcers. They develop plans of care for patients who have pressure injury. They also work with ostomy patients and do a lot of patient education for new ostomy patients as well. A great example of when to call the WOCN is you know, a really common scenario would be a patient has a new pressure injury, or you have a patient that came in from an outside facility, came in from home, who comes in with an existing wound or pressure injury. 
that is an excellent time to get that nurse on board. If your patient has a new ostomy, the WOCN will already be um, consulted on the case. Most likely, if it's a traumatic injury that caused the ostomy, they may come in after the fact. But if it's a planned procedure, they're on board ahead of time. Um, you may need to call the WOCN. Like say you have a patient come in who has an ostomy and has had it for years. You wouldn't necessarily need the WOCN unless maybe they've got a complex issue such as skin breakdown around that ostomy site. They, they are great at coming in and providing awesome um, nurse and patient education on how to care for that. Dialysis RN is another specialty RN role. So in my hospital, the dialysis RN is contracted, so works for an outside dialysis center that we contract with, and they come into the hospital to do inpatient dialysis, and that is how we utilize them. Maybe in other hospitals, they're on staff. So an example of when you would call the dialysis RN, like let's say they are the outside uh, contracted RN, most of the time, they simply show up to do the dialysis when it's on their schedule. But let's say you've got a brand new admitted patient and you know the patient is on dialysis. So what I always like to do is find out what their normal dialysis days are and when they last got dialysis, okay? Because a lot of times patients will feel horrible. You know, they're sick. Maybe they've got an infection or something at home. They don't feel good, so they don't go to dialysis. Well, then they're going to feel even worse. But find out when their last dialysis day was. And then it's very nice to call the dialysis center and let them know so that they can anticipate performing inpatient dialysis. Um, of course, get the patient's permission before you call the dialysis center. Sometimes it's just nice to call the dialysis center with the patient's permission to let them know that, you know, Bob's not going to be in today for his dialysis. He's actually in the hospital. Because these nurses, they see these patients all the time. They get to know them and they worry about them when they don't show up for their appointments. Okay, let's talk about physician and advanced practice team members on your interdisciplinary team. So somebody once sent me an email and said, I feel like this is, you know, a question that maybe I'm the only one that has it, but this student didn't even understand all the different abbreviations around like MD and DO and all of this and said, could you please go over that because I feel dumb asking it. Never feel dumb for asking questions, you guys. So I'm talking about all of that here. So I hope whoever wrote me that is finally listening. I finally did get around to it. So the physicians are the ones on the team who are diagnosing the patient's conditions, developing treatment plans, writing the orders, writing the diagnostic test orders, writing the medications and all the interventions. So this could be a resident, which is a new doctor has graduated medical school and now is going through their residency. The resident works underneath um, in supervision of a more experienced doctor, which we call the attending, the attending physician. It could be a hospitalist, which is a doctor employed by the hospital. That's easy. Or a specialist of some kind. So when you are assuming care of a patient, Really important to know which physicians are on the patient's care team so that you know who to call whenever you have an issue with your patient. And sometimes who you call depends on what specific issue the patient is having, especially if they've got specialists on the team. So MD is the medical doctor, the physician. DO is a doctor of osteopathy, same level of authority as an MD, just slightly different training. 
intensivist, you might hear this term, especially if the patient is in the ICU or had been in the ICU. The intensivist is a critical care physician who works with patients with complex illness or, again, who are in the ICU. Usually, the intensivist is a pulmonologist, but this can vary. Now, we have specialists. Name a body system, and there's a specialist for that body system. So specialists are physicians who obviously are specializing in something very, very specific. If your patient has specialists on the care team, if the patient has a change in condition related to that organ system, you're letting the specialist know as well as the attending physician or the hospitalist, okay? So examples of specialists would be like a neurologist, a cardiologist, a pulmonologist, a nephrologist, a gastroenterologist. Those are common specialists that you will see on your patient's care team. And then we have surgeons. So surgeons can be general surgeons, or they can also be very, very specialized. If your patient has any issues related to their surgery, you're calling the surgeon, okay? Letting the surgeon know. Um, Maybe also calling the attending, the hospitalist as well. The anesthesiologist is another specialist physician that administers anesthesia, to patients for surgery, but will also perform pain management procedures like epidurals or blocks like, uh, you know, ESP blocks, uh, adductor canal blocks for um, knee surgery, things like that. Most of the time, calls to the anesthesiologist will stem from the patient's time in the recovery room, but could extend out further um, if there are specific orders in place, such, you know, maybe your patient has a long-acting block like an epidural or a PCA that the anesthesiologist, like an epidural PCA, the anesthesiologist wrote the orders for that, so you would call the anesthesiologist for issues surrounding that medication. Examples of when to call the physician, again, anytime you have a concern about your patient, anytime you notice a change in condition, you know, I mean, a negative change in condition, we expect them to get better, right? But if they don't, if they don't proceed towards their goals as you expect, or they have a a turn in the wrong direction, you're calling the physician. Anytime you have questions about an order or need an order or need to report any instances where you're unable to implement orders. Maybe you had to hold a medication because the patient was too hypotensive. You want to make sure the MD knows about that. You want to make sure they know if the patient is refusing any of the orders because the MD is assuming these things are getting done. And if the patient refuses to go to MRI um, for their spinal scan, and the surgery is scheduled for tomorrow, you would obviously want to let the physician know, hey, Bob is refusing to go to the MRI. Okay, that would greatly impact the plan of care. There's many other reasons why you would call the physician. Those are just some of them. And then we have physician's assistants. We have nurse practitioners. These are advanced level practitioners who assess patients, develop plans of care, write orders. Many times you will be calling the nurse practitioner or the PA who can handle all but the very most complex of issues. Now, that's very generally speaking. Many PAs, many NPs, incredibly um, gifted at their jobs and will handle very complex things as well. It depends on how your hospital and your physician team utilizes these really valuable individuals. Okay, let's move on to some other disciplines. 
on your interdisciplinary team. Physical therapist. So the PT works with patients to improve strength, to improve mobility. They will do assessments um, to see if the patient needs any mobility aids, especially after discharge. And in some facilities, especially like where I work, PTs will perform complex wound care. I learned that, I think, on my first day of clinicals. I had no idea physical therapists did wound care, but yep, in some hospitals, they do. Example of when you would utilize a physical therapist. So physical therapy will be utilized for patients who have had certain types of surgery, like orthopedic surgeries. Maybe they got a hip done or a knee done. Um, Maybe they've been on bed rest. Even for a short period of time, you can have um, loss of strength, loss of muscle tone. Uh, Patients who've suffered a stroke will get physical therapy. Patients in the ICU, even patients on ventilators, we give them physical therapy, want them moving as much as possible. Anyone who has a significant fall risk due to weakness or gait issue will be seen by a physical therapist. Typically what happens is the physician or the NP or PA or whoever it is will write an order for physical therapy. It's not something that the nurse initiates, but you can always advocate for it that that order be written, okay? Occupational therapy, so the occupational therapist or OT works with patients to maximize functional capacity. So an example of when to utilize the OT, you will see occupational therapists used uh, a lot with patients who've had stroke or who've had significant surgeries, um, neurosurgeries, any kind of neurological deficits, back surgeries that can really impact mobility, anything that requires very specific activity limitations, things like that. The patient may need to learn different ways to do everyday things. So occupational therapists will come in and help them with that. The respiratory therapist, RTs, work with patients who have respiratory disorders requiring assessment and or intervention. Uh, RTs are awesome. I love the RTs at my hospital. They do so, so much, and they're so knowledgeable. They manage ventilators. They assist with bronchoscopies. They assist with intubations. During codes, they're managing airways. RTs also work with patients just giving standardized, you know, their standard inhaled medications and, again, performing respiratory assessments. So when would you call the respiratory therapist? The most common scenario that I call the respiratory therapist is, you know, maybe I've got a patient with asthma. Maybe I've got a patient with COPD who's exhibiting, you know, some respiratory difficulty. Maybe their wheezes are getting really intense, their work of breathing's going up, their SpO2 is dropping, they're saying they're having difficulty, whatever it is. I'm calling the RT to come assess the patient and administer the bronchodilators and perform, you know, that focused respiratory assessment. There's a million reasons why you'd call the RT, by the way. That was just an example, you guys. Okay, speech language pathology therapist. So in the clinical setting, speech therapist, SLPs, whatever you want to call them, they may be called different things in different states or different areas. They work mostly with stroke patients. Also work with any patient who has dysphagia or difficulty swallowing. So these individuals perform assessments to determine the level of the dysphagia and prescribe very specialized diet textures and feeding guidelines to minimize aspiration risk and maximize nutrition. 
So a great example of when you would utilize an SLP is, let's say your patient has had a stroke or showing signs of difficulty swallowing. You'll want to advocate for the physician to write orders for a speech um, a speech console is what we call it at my hospital. The speech therapist shows up at the bedside with some different textured things. I think there's maybe applesauce in there. There's peach slices. There's some liquids. They'll have some thickening um, substance to thicken the liquids if that's needed. And they'll do what's called a swallow eval on your patient and determine the patient's ability to swallow safely. And if the patient's not you know, passing their swallow eval completely, then they may say, okay, they can they can have diced foods and thick liquids, like they'll prescribe the diet texture. The dietitian is um, the individual in the clinical setting that works to really maximize nutrition for patients, especially for those who come in malnourished, those who have complex illness, um, those who are in the ICU, on ventilators, all of those things. In addition to making recommendations for things like nourishment boosters, dietitians also determine the proper tube feeding formulas and rates for those who are relying on enteral nutrition. They also work to educate, educate patients who are following specific diets like a renal diet, a diabetic diet, a heart failure diet, etc. A great example of when to utilize the dietitian Let's say you've got a patient who's on tube feeding. You're going to be calling the dietitian or they'll already be on the case. Maybe the patient has a newly diagnosed condition such as diabetes. Um, maybe they've lost a significant amount of weight recently without trying. The dietitian would be an excellent person to advocate. You ask the physician for a diet consult or a dietitian consult. So the, again, the physician has to order that for the patient. Social work is another fabulous resource that, man, I I just loved having social workers in the ICU. So um, LCSWs or LMSWs, they help patients and families navigate the healthcare system, connect them to resources that may help them manage uh, psychosocial concerns such as homelessness, um, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, assist patients and families and managing and navigating complex illness. And they're great at providing emotional support and counseling during times of crisis. So a great example of when you might utilize the hospital social worker is anytime your patient has complex psychosocial issues, um, including substance abuse disorder, complex family dynamics. That's a key one that I used social work a lot for in the ICU. You as a bedside nurse don't have the time, ability, resources to, to deal with unraveling all of that. You want to make sure the MD has an order for social work in place. They're experts at managing all of that, working with families. They're just amazing angels. And then we have the spiritual care or the chaplains. Many acute care settings employ spiritual I can't ever say this word, spiritual care advisors or chaplains who work with patients and families to ensure that their spiritual needs are being met. So a great example of when to call in this individual would be, let's say you've got a patient who's near end of life or who's just received some devastating diagnostic news, something like that, where they really need and um, could benefit from having that compassionate, kind guidance at their bedside. They're just wonderful, wonderful resources to have.
Okay, let's talk about a couple of really important supportive roles. The CNA or the PCT, I should have talked about these angels first because they are just amazing, amazing. Um, On your exams, in your textbooks, you may hear um, these individuals referred to as unlicensed personnel. Um, In the hospital setting, they may be CNAs, certified nurse assistants. In my hospital, they're PCTs, patient care techs. They could be called different things at different places, but these individuals perform a variety of vital patient care tasks. Um, In some hospital settings, like where I work, the PCT is kind of a hybrid of a unit secretary and a CNA. Um, It expands that role even further. They're answering the phones, doing all kinds of things at the desk. PCTs or CNAs will help patients do all kinds of things. Um, They're going to help with ADLs. Um, If your facility allows, they're taking vital signs, um, setting up trays at mealtime, bathing patients, answering call lights in the recovery room. Our PCTs do our 12-lead EKGs, which is just huge. I mean, it takes some time to do that. So I love that I can say, hey, Howie, will you come do my EKG? And he's like, yep. And I love it because then I've got, you know, so many other things that I need to do. Of course, I look at the tracing before, you know, we call it good, but they set it all up, do the, um, run the machine. It's great. As the RN or the LPN, LVN at the bedside, you will be delegating tasks to these unlicensed personnel. You always want to make sure you're following the appropriate guidelines of delegation. So I do talk about that at length in another episode. I'll link to that. Great example of when you would utilize a CNA or PCT is, let's say your patient needs help with positioning, toileting, feeding, a million other things, provided your policy supports it and it's safe to do so, get that person in there to help. They're absolutely amazing. And then the last one that I'm going to talk about are the interpreters. If your patient does not speak your language fluently, fluently enough to understand the plan of care ask questions and get their answers, then you need a certified medical interpreter at the bedside. Now, it doesn't have to be a human. It can be on the phone. It can be uh, via the language line on the iPad. That's what we use a lot. Um, Make sure that you have that individual. When you're doing your assessment, have the interpreter so that you can ask the questions that you need to ask. It's not enough to just say, Tienes Delore. If they really, you really don't speak that much Spanish and they really don't speak that much English, you really should be using the interpreter. So a great example would be your patient is Punjabi speaking and you need to do a stroke assessment. Okay, you've got to get the interpreter. So those are the ones that I thought of off the top of my head. If your facility or your clinical setting utilizes team members differently or utilizes team members I didn't even think of, I would love to hear about it. So thank you so much for hanging out with me today, you guys. If you're interested in checking out Study Sesh, you can go to straightynursingstudent.com forward slash study dash sesh. S-E-S-H. I'll link to it in the episode notes. And you can get an overview of what it's all about. And then in the FAQ, I link to a bunch of pod quiz style episodes so you can see what that is about as well, because a lot of study sesh is the pod quizzes. Okay. All right. Next week, everybody, we're going to talk about prioritizing, which is really, really key in the clinical setting. So we'll be talking about that next week. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.